the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Welcome to Wine Women Radio, where we discuss what we're drinking and what's happening in the wine industry. Pour yourself a glass and enjoy the show. Welcome, listeners, to the Wine Women Radio Hour, where we discuss what we're drinking and what's happening in the wine industry and all that good stuff. I'm Marsha Maycumber, one of your co-hosts today here with Lisa Adams-Walter. How are you, Lisa? Hello, I'm fine. It's great to see you again. You, you've been off on assignment. I have. <laughs> well, welcome of, back. A lot happening. Thank you. Happy to be back. It's great, which is wonderful. And we are here today in the very lovely panel wine lounge and they're actually a wine lounge and uh, a, a beer on tap and espresso bar as well so there's a lot of things that you can get here um, they are very gracious in letting us record the podcast here uh, in the loft in the back room their private tasting room um, for those who don't know where the panel is find it at 535 west napa street in sonoma they are open tuesday through friday from 3 to 9 p.m and on Saturday from noon to 9 p.m., Sunday and Monday are by appointment, but they have a fantastic um, by the glass menu, uh, little nibbles that you can get and snacks as well. Uh, you can also buy wines from their lovely shop that they also have up front, and uh, it's got a lot of global representation. So besides having the uh, West Coast wines that we all know and love here in Sonoma, they also have wines from France, Italy, Germany, Austria, Portugal, Australia, Chile, New Zealand, and points on beyond, which I'm going to take to mean the rest of the Pacific Ocean, because what is there on beyond New Zealand? <laughs> Not a lot in terms of wine, I don't think. I know. But it is a neat shop. It it's is. a really neat shop. Yeah. There's a lot in a very small yes. space. It's yeah. really fun to explore. And the weather here has been just absolutely gorgeous in the upper 70s or in the upper 80s. So you can take your glass out and sit on the patio out front is an opportunity to have a nice, nice little, um, I saw a picture on Instagram of like a, it's a mini bonfire. I know that doesn't make any sense. That's like a, a, a what do you call that? Oxymoron. There's the word right. I'm looking for. <laughs> mini bonfire. So it's just, it's one of those in a small container because the patio isn't huge. So they don't want to, you know, block out mm -hmm. guest space there. But it was cute because it was open up really late and people were enjoying it and it's kind of private and that that patio the front porch patio yeah. is also yeah. dog friendly it is which is Thank kind you of fun yes you could bring crispy you could bring <laughs> i could bring i could bring crispy which might be a way to go since uh, she had a rather rough week so uh anyway so uh winding that up find uh the panel wines at panelwines.com on the internet and you can get more details about what they offer including they're very awesome wine club. Uh, you can find details for that uh, on their website, which is terrific. Um, moving along, we have some news this week. Did you did you have one that you wanted to mention? Or? Sure. Um, I do have one that I want to mention. Flowers Winery ah. um, opened a new tasting room in Healdsburg, <gasps> which Fantastic. is really super exciting. And um, it just opened, I believe, this week. I think yesterday. Um, it's a new destination guest experience. Um, they are known for their Pinot Noir and their Chardonnay. And, you know, they're a very Sonoma Coast-centric winery, and it mm -hmm. was a winery that wasn't easy to get to to right. visit. So now it's very easy to go to Flowers right. and um, check out their wines. Um, Hillsburg's really booming in terms of 
wine tasting rooms. I know that sometimes there's some controversy over that, but I think this is a really nice addition. Um, it's a 15 and a half acre estate, um, very near downtown Healdsburg with a hospitality house, a winemaking facility, indoor and outdoor seating, expansive gardens, outdoor wood-fired oven, and then there's a culinary program with an estate chef. So I think that it's um, going to be kind of a neat addition. How cool. That is really nice. A great addition for us. Other, other news out there that I think is kind of fun was uh, the first ever Women in Wine event drew hundreds of attendees building community in the Oregon wine industry. And you know how you, you and I like the uh, women in wine news. It's a good thing. So this comes from Emily Teal at the Salem Statesman Journal in Oregon. And they had um, more than 200 people, mostly women, of course. Um, and they all gathered at the Willamette Valley Vineyards on Monday, July 8th for the first ever women in wine event. Um, it was completely sold out. They had speakers and workshops, and it was all intended to be a community gathering um, with the goal of advancing and supporting the work of women in every avenue of Oregon's wine industry. Perhaps they should get a little franchise of wine women there, you know, and help them help them grow because they said um, one of the reasons that they did this was that there wasn't any other type of conference or program in Oregon for women in the wine industry and they were looking to do that so they kind of had a you know a little powwow of uh, uh, several women including um, head chair of the event Brianna Seeley um, who happens to be the vice president of consumer sales at Adelsheim Vine Vineyards in Newburgh um, said this all came about you know through breakfast meetings and brainstormings um, with several people, including Susan Sokol Blosser, who is the founder of Sokol Blosser Winery in Dayton, Oregon. Um, so it sounded like it was a huge success. It was a great thing for them to have. And I love Oregon wine. I love the Willamette Valley. I also noticed that Eugenia Keegan was there. She used to be in Napa. And now she is the general manager of Jackson Family Wines in Oregon. So yeah. there's a lot of California interest and investment happening yeah. up in Oregon and Washington, too. Pretty, pretty common to see people going back and forth between uh, here and in parts of Oregon for wine industry there. Definitely. Um, we also had Napa Valley Vintners becoming the first North American Wine Trade Association to commit to the Porto Protocol. And I went, what? What's the Porto Protocol? Well, <laughs> it's super cool. <laughs> it is really cool. So this is directly from Napa Valley Vintner's press release, which says that they are building on a legacy of environmental leadership, and their mission is to promote, protect, and enhance the Napa Valley. The Napa Valley Vintner's... Oh, sorry. I just read that wrong. <laughs> um, obviously, that's, that's what the Vintner's do, is uh, promote, protect, and enhance Napa Valley. Um, the board of directors voted at their June 27th meeting to become signatories of the Porto Protocol. In doing so, they become the first North American Wine Trade Association to join the effort. Now, what is this effort? Well, here you go. The Porto Protocol was established by Adrian Bridge of Taylor's Port in 2018 based on the premise that the effects of climate change can be diminished if everyone plays their part. Woohoo! Uh, it's a binding commitment by its signatories from any area of, of industry to make a greater contribution to mitigate climate change. The initiative formally launched with President Obama speaking at the inaugural conference in July of last year. So 
uh, relatively new. So uh, yeah. from Robin Lale, sorry. No, I, go ahead. I was just going to mention Robin Lale because yeah. she's a she's such a lovely, elegant, fantastic leader in the wine industry and right. a descendant of one of Napa's oldest wine family. Yes, she's a she, descendant of Gustav Niebaum of England. That's right. Yeah. So anyhow. Very cool. So this is, this is what she said. She's, Robin Lale said, as new signatories to the Port of Protocol, the Napa Valley Vintners has further broadened their commitment to environmental stewardship. Um, let's see. I'm looking for the rest of this. Just like the uh, Napa Valley Vintners' ambitious goal is to have all eligible members in the Napa Green Program by the end of 2020, the Porto Protocol is another important step to address climate change. So I think it's terrific that they have taken this next leap and it kind of spurs on the rest of their members leading from the top there to say, come on, we, we all have to do our share, which sounds like exactly what Porto Protocol has going for it. Very cool stuff. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what else you got there? Well, I, I heard, this is very interesting. Um, if, you, if you go into the category of somebody who has everything, there's an entire ABA for sale in California. Did you see that story? It's the smallest ABA in the United States. It's in Mendocino <laughs> County. Oh my goodness. Um, and it's up for sale. So it's right in between, I believe, Anderson Valley and I'm looking here, I'm here, it is in between Anderson Valley and, is it, pardon me, no. I always I, get this next, it's, it's called Coal Ranch and it's between uh -huh. Russian River Valley and uh -huh. Anderson Valley. So they're, they're both um, similar, you know, to the entire right. Mendocino, but it's an. But it's a unique AVA. It's a unique, very small. And I assume if you buy the AVA, you're buying the grapes that are grown. <laughs> 150 <laughs> acres and so that yeah. is um that's Teeny. that's kind of the the problem yeah. is that those grapes because they're from that ava can't be in and you know it has Anybody to have else's. their own yeah. ava huh. label or it would just right. be a tiny percentage of a blending grape so it's a little right. bit of a financial problem huh. but if you if you want if you want if you're someone who wants to have something that no one else has you can own your own ava there you go if you got money to burn if it's gonna create a hole in your pocket <laughs> that's, that's right something to do. very cool information well one more thing that i've got before we introduce our guest um and uh, this gets to a, a subject that's all kind of touchy with all of us because it brings up a lot of emotion amuse bush sued their insurance company over their denial of their 1.2 million dollar smoke taint claim um so this just came up um in the news um amuse bush um, had filed a lawsuit against their insurance carrier because they turned down their $1.2 million claim for Merlot damage by smoke during the 2017 Wine Country fires. Um, so there's a lengthy story about this, and it's very interesting because um, the insurance company um, is getting into kind of very finite language in terms of did the damage occur um, while it was while the grapes were on the vine or did the damage occur at fermentation and they're both saying different things and and at what point the liability kicks in that the insurance covers is a whole other kind of nightmare and i think it's opened up another pandora's box about the fires and i just wanted to mention really quickly that wine women has an event next week on wednesday the 17th at 
5.30 or 6 o'clock, I'm not sure which, but if you go to winewomen.net, you can see this information. But the event is After the Fires, um, Beyond lesson, Lessons Learned. It's a panel discussion that includes experts from Cal Fire and uh, insurance companies um, and winemakers and wineries about handling this whole situation personally and professionally for all our companies at different perspectives. So uh, those who might be interested, you can get the tickets at winewomen.net. Um, and it will be held at Buena Vista Winery here in Sonoma. Um, and I think it's re- relatively you know, inexpensive. Um, they're going to be serving wine and appetizers at Buena Vista for this panel discussion. So it seems like it really could be kind of fun. Sounds fun. Sounds interesting. But smoke taint's a real thing. It is. It is. And uh, it sounds like it's a lot more complicated than we ever thought it could possibly be. And with that, I want to introduce our guest who's been waiting, chomping at the bit. Which is kind of an apt thing because our guest is quite the horsewoman out there. MJ Wickham, professional photographer, is with us. Hello, MJ. Hello. <laughs> it's great to have you here. So Thank nice you. to have you here. Happy to be here. It's great. Exciting. I, I do see um, your pictures of your rides or going out with your horse and, or going out. You did a safari on horseback. Epic, well. epic adventure. Wow. 10 days straight in Botswana. Riding on horseback and photographing all the way. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, they were beautiful. They yeah. were very cool shots. Super fun. So if our listeners don't know you, and hopefully many of them don't because they're all over the country, and you're not all over the country yet, um, MJ is a leading professional photographer. She's based right here in Sonoma County, um, actually centrally out of Santa Rosa, but she goes all over wine country to photograph wineries, vineyards, winemakers, Harvest workers, tasting rooms, cellars, uh, presentations, um, wine events, mm-hmm. all kinds of things. Pretty much um, everything that exists in the wine world. Yeah, exactly. Um, she covers uh, photographing commercial products, lifestyle, location photography, um, really all kinds. And she's been working on brands in Sonoma, Napa, Mendocino, Lake Counties, the whole San Francisco Bay Area. Um, since 1982. Eek. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and. That wasn't that long ago. <laughs> Wait, yeah. I was thinking about that on the way over. That's, That's 37 years That's a ago. while back. That's a while back. <laughs> and also, she has, um, she's published three different volumes about um, wine country photography with Panache Partners, Iconic Wineries of Napa, Spectacular Wineries of Sonoma County, and spectacular wineries of Napa Valley. Uh, so you can find her work at mjwickham.com. That's M-J-W-I-C-K-H-A-M.com. You can also um, email her there, mj at mjwickham.com. Uh, uh, if you're interested in learning a whole lot more, you can just dial her directly at 707-479-0533. And there we go. There's the, the commercialized introduction. <laughs> Well, thank you. <laughs> so I guess we should start with, well, why do businesses need, why do wine businesses need all this photography? You've obviously been doing it a long time. Why do wineries need all their businesses photographed? Well, you know, a winery wants to tell a story, right? Mm-hmm. And what better way to do it than with photographs and letting people know 
what the place looks like, what the bottles look like, who the people are, the ambiance of the tasting room, just the the general appearance of everything. And, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words. So it what is. can I say? And, and um, here we are talking on the radio, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, the, it's, it's, the visual story is very important. So Yeah, I think that people, well, I firmly believe that people react emotionally to photos. And so I always, my aim, you know, is to bring something right. that people can like go, oh, or oh, yeah, and, and just get out of the intellect and into the experiential, mm-hmm. just visual experience that conveys the, per- the story of the winery. Every winery is different. Uh, every uh, you know owner of the wineries are different. The bottles are different. The labels are different. It's just you know it's it, there's so much there that you can tell through photographs, and I just you know I I love doing. It. I love it when they call me and say you know we're gonna do. Uh, lately, I think mostly I'm a lot of what I'm getting is we're gonna do like a little Instagram campaign, and we've got about 12 to 15 shots in mind that we want to convey and so uh i you know talk to usually it's a social media person or the marketing manager or whatever and then we come up with a list and then i get to i go out on location and we just bang them away you know go 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 and it's really fun and exciting and there's a lot going on and it's very it's um, beautiful in this weather to be able to shoot outside yeah (laughs) Yeah, you have to wait till about april (laughs) that's april to late november is like spectacular it's interesting, interesting to me, though, because there was all of this conversation when social media was really taking hold in like 2008 or so that everybody thinks they're a professional photographer, you know, and it's <laughs> that must be really frustrating for you. So that's really nice for me to hear that wineries well, are incorporating professional images into their social media outreach. The smart ones are. Yeah. <laughs> and the ones with the budget who know that they should set aside. Yeah. Them. Usually they have some sort of consultant that's telling them, hey, you know, this is what we need to do. We need a higher standards. Right. Yeah, right. Although I've always felt that wineries would be really smart to hire some young person in their staff and let them free with the iPhone mm-hmm. and just you know tell the story from right. inside because well, and of course some of them do to yeah a certain and i degree. think they're smart yeah. to do that yeah. i mean if if i owned a winery that's what i'd do it's I'd like hollywood somebody. and behind the scenes people yes. love to see what's going on on the other side of they the do. the camera yeah. lens they really do so it's yeah a, it's a really fun thing how did you get started in photography well in college i picked up the camera and i was uh it was way back when there was no i went to university of vermont there was no photography program but um, my boyfriend was the editor of the newspaper, and so I got to do all this uh, photography, and I got access to the dark room, and I kind of just took it by the, the horns. I, I really never Back felt like... Back when you had needed a dark room. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, did, I wasn't an artistic kid by any means growing up. I wasn't a drawer. I didn't mm-hmm. know I had a talent. And it wasn't until I just picked the camera up, and it was like it clicked for me. It was like this is cool i like looking through this little lens and you know making things in this shape and composing composing yeah and so i did a ton of studying in black and white 
soup my own film, did my own prints. Wow. Also, when I first started my business, same deal. Uh-huh. It was all black. You remember those black and white publicity shots? Oh, yeah. Headshots? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd crank 50 out in an hour. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I started with black and white, and I think that's great because, you know, it's all about composition, light and shadow. And learning and, fundamentals. Yeah, learning lighting, the fundamentals. And contrast, yeah. And making mistakes and doing it over and over and over and all that, so... So that's how I started, and then I moved to California because I had two brothers here, and one of my brothers was had a little winery up in Casadero. It's no longer there, but and I started Fun. meeting people in the wine industry, and I thought, oh, well, this is kind of cool, and maybe I can use my photography skills because that's when I wanted. I decided I would be a professional uh-huh. photographer. And I just started, you know, meeting people, and then I volunteered for the wine auctions. The uh-huh. that's magic. Yeah, that's how I first kind of met people <laughs> and saw it. And the, oh, you know, back then it was pretty mellow. It was just like not that difficult, but kind of very spontaneous type of photography where you're wandering around capturing what's there and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, these days I don't do a whole lot of that. I guess I've. Uh, evolved to where you know I like a little control because <laughs> I know it works they come out better when you have a little yeah. control so I don't I you know I, I went through years doing the Napa wine auction that was hell paparazzi oh. <laughs> beating each other to get to, oh, to get that picture of Robert Mondavi taking his shirt off or you know whatever <laughs> and um too funny yeah so uh yeah now they follow Jean Charles Yes, yes. <laughs> exactly. And they should. He's so fun. You know, he's so flamboyant and uh He plays to the camera. He's rich. He yes. Photographers mm-hmm. love yes. those kinds of of people that yes. uh, are willing to be photographed. So Yeah. But yeah, so that's how I started and uh just kind of they say you're only as good as your last job and so you're always out there pushing yourself and meeting people and promoting yourself and, and networking yeah networking connecting right, with and people. doing that yep and so it sounds like you had a really natural you know you kind of stumbled into the wine industry mm-hmm. it wasn't where you necessarily no targeted but it was there right at your doorstep so yeah you actually, availed yourself of it yeah when i started my business i was actually doing headshots of kid actors <laughs> very different than the wine industry totally yeah. so i kind of enjoyed that it was all more about lifestyle and the wine instead of the you know mothers of of actors the stage moms <laughs> stage, stage moms, moms. Yeah, that's the oh word. my goodness yeah so um yeah it just kind of organically grew and i mostly was doing lifestyle until 2008 when the oh man the <laughs> when the sky fell the sky fell and i looked around and i went oh so the only thing they need right now are bottle shots and i just spent a couple of months like perfecting bottle shots because i thought they always need those things that's true so let's talk about that a little bit because they're difficult there are a lot of people who think oh i can just capture this with my phone and of course you know there's plenty of people who for purposes of memorizing or memorializing what they've drunk you know they they they're they're there with their camera phones and they're taking pictures that way they put them up on um seller tracker and various other sites um or they use it to do a, a reading there. Maybe at, their, at a store and they're using an app to actually read the label to learn more mm-hmm. about the wine because there's now all these gimmick things where you can, you know, use an app 
put it on the phone and then see the the label come to life, which is a whole separate podcast and we which we can address <laughs> those types of things. Um, but talk to us about some of the challenges of really capturing the essence of the wine, the bottle shot, and yeah. what kind of challenges you've run into over the years. Yeah, well, the challenge is less is more to some extent. And I, I really, I, I have sort of, I developed this formula and it's one highlight and you have to shoot the light. This is all in the studio, right. by the way. And these are strobes that I'm mm-hmm. using. And you have to shoot the light through a softbox, which is a diffusion panel. Right. And then also in front of that, sort of a plexiglass mm-hmm. diffusion panel. So it's even more diffuse and soft and kind of plastic almost is this so that you don't get a hard highlight line on the bottle because i see that i i do see on bottles that there's um a fair amount of variation in styles of bottle shots and some some people for whatever reason they're going for that hard light right um and you you can always tell when somebody doesn't care because you're seeing that kind of it's not a trapezoid it's another name you can always see the the size of the strobe you know reflecting over the shoulder of the bottle that's from the top light which i don't usually use so yeah but so there's your you want to create the shape of the bottle so Mm -hmm. you use that highlight to give the dimension to the bottle and then i typically have a black card on the other side because i don't want to have two lights Mm -hmm. coming too high uh you don't want two highlights on either side but i also use a spotlight on the label because to get the label to pop you have to get some texture you have to get some side light anytime you want texture in photography you have to get the light to the side so that it's skimming Mm -hmm. across and creating the light and shadow on the texture of, especially the labels. Yes. Because they'll have like embossing. I was going to say. Or they'll have textured paper. paper. <laughs> you know, and you want to get that. So you have to have a spotlight that then all of that has to be retouched out in the bottle. Mm-hmm. So you spend wow. uh, two minutes photographing the bottle. And, and then an hour in minutes, Photoshop. Not that long. <laughs> I'm pretty fast these days. But it, it definitely is less time actually doing the photography and more time doing the photoshopping and getting out is the it, is, is that a little bit like um you know when you always hear you have a contractor in your house and they're doing painting it's 90 percent preparation oh yeah the 10 percent right. of the actual stuff and absolutely yeah, yeah. absolutely and then i and i have to raise it up so that it doesn't reflect the light from what you have it on top of oh that, the surface because the then the bottoms there. of the bottles right. will have all kinds of crap in there right you um so, for white wine you're removing the back label yes the you have to remove that and then i use a, a frosted um acetate behind mm-hmm. the white you have to then have a light behind the bottle that's really bright and uh you can either there's two ways you can do it you can just blast it on a white background or you can actually shine it towards the mm-hmm. bottle i prefer the background and then the acetate makes it so you don't see the whole studio in the bottle because because right. they're clear right it reflects everything around yeah so yeah that's a little different yeah the whites and the sauvignon blancs are the hardest to be honest for some reason the is it just very transparent? They're very light. Um, it's, is it the, the strong yellow of the nature of the color it's of the, the wine? It's the shape of the bottle. Ah. And the, so the Chardonnay is easier because right. of the, like, Pinots are easy yeah. to photograph Sloped. and Chardonnays. The, the slope, slope shoulders. Right. 
And then the uh, Sauvignon Blanc is one of the hardest. Yeah, because it has a hard shoulder to Right, and making sure that, you know, you don't get, you don't see everything in the bottle. And then any, you know, any seams in the bottle have to be taken (laughs) out. I mean, it's right. just, there's a, you know, right. there's a lot to it. And, and, and it's a, trick, a tricky problem, too, if the, the samples you've been delivered oh. haven't been reviewed very carefully, and they're giving you one where the front label, the, the public's front label, not yeah. the TTB front label, two yeah. different things, <laughs> um, the consumer's front label um, happens to have hit on a glass seam. You're, you're, you're up oh, the I creek. Have, yeah, well, no, <laughs> I mean, I just have to Photoshop oh. more, that's all. It's just... Yeah. I learned. No, I know. I uh, I love the clients that send me two bottles of each. They don't always do that. I love the clients that leave bottles with me. They don't always do that. <laughs> of course, that's nice. <laughs> but um, there are there are fringe benefits to this yes. business. <laughs> but um, yeah, they it's it's sometimes like just recently a winery sent me a good one. You know, a really high end winery sent me the label had had been uh, abraded on the way uh, and it had all kinds of patterns and stuff and I really couldn't fix it perfectly. I felt terrible because yeah. I, I, I pride myself on, you know, p- fixing right. things. But there's certain things in packing or shipping where yeah. it could really scuff up a label. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, they yeah. need to, if they ship it to a photographer, they need to put a, just, you know, wrap a white piece of paper around with uh, tape yes. and that, that'll save smart. it. So, That's yeah. a smart thing but to do. That's a good, good to know. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, those for are all always... The mar- those for all the marketing people out there, have to send the samples to the photographer yes. to get the bottle shots. Put the bottle, yeah. <laughs> wrap the bottle, please. Yeah. And, uh, Very smart. Yeah. And don't put them in those styrofoam... Oh, then so what happens with the styrofoam is it, you get little tiny bits yeah, yeah and then i have to static but I, even so when the bottles come i do have to clean them off and wipe them Cotton down white gloves and, and yeah yeah, yeah that kind f- of stuff. fingerprints and, and, show uh, anti-static cloths and all that stuff and yeah. sometimes the glass is no good and you're just like quality of the glass mm-hmm. right it's amazing so to me. glasses you know we've been talking about the lighting and all that kind of stuff you know it's a it's a super highly reflective surface. Yes. Uh, so you've got a system, which is great, but there are, are there other things that people do? I would think, for instance, um, labels or um, uh, mylar, which is you know um, the clear application to the bottle. Um, the one then, I hate are the ones uh, that uh, wrap around the back uh, that you can see through. Right. Those are the worst. Right. You, I imagine that means you got to get your lens at just the right height so that yeah. you're not looking through and all it, that crazy. It's just, yeah, yeah. It's just a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, no, it's not a good thing, yeah. according no, that, to MJ. This is just studio bottles because they need to be sort of perfect. Mm-hmm. But when you go on location, there, you know, it's more about the feel of it and you mm-hmm. don't have to stress so much about if there are ref- there's always the reflections of the sky or the surrounding area and if you go in and photoshop that all out it looks really weird you know so it doesn't so it's a whole different um art on yeah. location with the bottles but also fun because it's challenging right you know? so that's kind of like stuff. my favorite thing to do is right. like go on location and and walk, you know, walk into a place and just kind of go, hmm, what do we got here? What can we use? You know, wh- where's What's the lighting the feel come of the place? from? What's the feel? Yeah. When you do those on-location shoots, is someone with the winery usually with you? Yeah. Someone, so they come out and... Yeah, except for that, those those books I did, 
that I was left <laughs> all by myself. <laughs> wow. But it was it was a little daunting, but it was also really uh, creatively fulfilling not to have, you know, someone over my shoulder and stuff. So I, I can work either way. I mean, I, I work with designers who are extremely exacting and, you know, it has to be this and I like, mm -hmm. I can take direction, I can do that. But I can also be set free and just kind of roam. And then usually the people that hire me are not professional artists and they which is why they need you yeah <laughs> and they don't some of them are artistic but a lot of them aren't they might be numbers people or you know a lot of brand managers aren't really and they don't necessarily come with you know how they want it done they just want me to solve it for them but they can now with the did well they've always been able to show them because back when we used polaroids um, because we didn't have digital. Yeah, we to didn't. Show when we were shooting on four by five transparencies and had these big Polaroids, we would you would show them, and then they sort of go, "Yeah, I like that," or "No, I don't like that." So I, that's typically about all the input I get is like, "No," <laughs> or "Oh, that's great, that's great," you know. And then you're like, "Good, <laughs> good." Yeah, we're going on to the next. But time. I, but I, I think that I attract people like that because I'm kind of bossy and <laughs> sort of want it my way but i but i i my ego's not totally in there it's just that i i want it to be beautiful i want it to look good and i know that if someone's not trained and doesn't have an eye and what isn't makes, trained yeah. they don't understand and so you just really don't want their comments too much so so walk us through how a new client goes about working with you. They pick up the phone, they call you. Well, no, they these go, days they don't ever pick up the phone. <laughs> they email you, they right? They, they text email you and they email they you. They email okay. me. MJ at MJWickham.com. Yeah, yeah, they email me and sometimes they just are looking for the cheapest bid. You know, they sort mm -hmm. of give me the parameters and want to know how much. And then other times, you know, we, we will end up in a conversation, you know, and then I start asking them you know what it is they need what are their uses what have they done in the past mm -hmm. so i work with a lot of corporations i work with a lot i mean i work with small mom and pop wineries but i work with the big, big ones you know the big ones that have like 50 100 brands um i work with uh food producers olive oil producers um food photography a whole yeah, yeah a whole different world thing, whole thing. separate world yeah but so, you know, these are people that kind of know what they want. And then we, we talk a little bit about pricing and you know, mm -hmm. how long it's going to take. And then usually the next step is, you know, make a date, right. drop a shot list. I always want a shot list. And um, that's so important. Oh, yeah. You've got to know. Right. What, it how just, many, it's a runaway train. Otherwise, otherwise you have no clue. And <laughs> and I'll, I have to say the people I work with are usually pretty well organized. And because they're paying by the day or the hour, they want to get every moment. <laughs> right. they want, yeah, they want to maximize they really the time. Are, they and have you. some of them, it's, I feel like the, the whip is out. <laughs> Go, shoot you, now. You better not. It's like, I, I'm always like, oh, I need to be doing stuff for my own social media, but I don't have a minute because they'll be looking at me going, wait, wait, wait. Listen. Yeah, they want to get as much as they can. They want can. to get as much as they can. And I think that... Um, why my clients like me is that I'm pretty efficient. Right. I'm pretty let's let's get let's do it. Let's get into it. I jump in and I don't 
you know, I don't waste a whole lot of time mm-hmm. worrying about. I just, I feel like let's get rolling. Let's get some shots. If we, you know, if we don't like that, we can change things later. But I like to get the whole thing rolling and people moving and get in, involved in the creative aspect of it too. Yeah. So it's kind of fun, especially the Listen. social media managers. That's more like teamwork. Right. We do. Right. T- we oh. do teamwork. Some, somebody, somebody's uh, disposing of bottles uh, here <laughs> in the panel. We're in the right wine, the wine <laughs> building. What a, what, a, what a surprise. Yeah. So um, one of the things I've noticed is recently a lot more um, winery photography, but specifically the bottle photography. Um, they're getting more creative with how to style the, oh, the yeah. shot. So on beyond... You know, they all need the the, the seamless bottle shots mm-hmm. um, to put on their product sale pages right, on the right. website. The so those are often veer and their tech sheets. Yeah. So those are pretty standard for the core. But then, throughout the rest of their website, this is where you start seeing creatively presented mm-hmm. bottles with glasses. You know, the the world of. Um, you know, Ian J. Gallo and Freddie Bergie and that, yeah. all those things, you know, where it was, here's a bottle, here's a glass, and here's a bunch of mission grapes, which don't <laughs> go into wine, but it's, it's what somebody grabbed, you know, so they're yeah. grabbing the wrong ones. And let's make a, a pretty charoscurus, you know, tableau here right. on top of a barrel. You know, are, are we moving I think more so. away from that? Yeah, I think so. Other things. But I, I, I would say a lot of the... Sh- just the last recently few things I've done were tables with you know their whole family line and food and and in this mm-hmm. scenery like at Patson Hall we did their rosé rollout and so they set up and I think they went out and bought all this you know uh, linen and glassware set dressing. and all that stuff yeah and set the whole set up and uh-huh. I mean I love that it's like yes they're taking this seriously Or they got a a stylist to do it or something. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Often it's somebody on staff is sort of handy at that. That's expensive, right. Yeah, exactly. So um, I think more and more they're doing that. I think what they want is they want people to envision themselves. In the space. There, in the space, with the wines and the whole, you know, the feel of what it's like to be at this beautiful table. And, you know, it's just... So were there people in this image or is it no. the scene? The, the scene. I okay. think that, and I love doing the people ones too, but you have to be careful because it needs to be sort of generic and, you mm-hmm. know, you kind of want to, yes, you can have people in them, but a lot of times, no, they don't. Or, or if they do, or if they you have do it, their... they're not, you're not getting a head in there. You're getting expressive arms yes. with the glass right. and leaning and the into their, of all right. this. You know, the glasses all together. I just did a fun one at uh, O'Brien Estate where they have that big O. And so they were, um, you know, these glasses with the big O. And it was just kind of fun. Oh, cool. Yeah. Very nice. Very cool stuff. Yeah. So um, let me see for a second here what else I had on my my list of creative questions well, some of, well, i'm kind of curious what sort of equipment you're using because it's all changed since the days of the polaroid yes. and then you know everything else so i know you weren't shooting polaroid for the images it was for test shots but right. you know what how was that transition for you like going to digital and i mean it's changed everything everything and it i think it happened around 2000 uh before then i would say 
90% of my jobs were on color transparency, slide film, either 35 millimeter or two and a quarter, which was the Hasselblad, or four mm-hmm. by five, you know, the big, mm-hmm. sp- mm-hmm. four in the studio for setups and stuff. And yeah, all the Polaroids, all that stuff. And transparency film was very exacting. So you had to bracket like crazy, you know, do a little bit lighter, a little bit darker. You know, I mean, you, sh- you used a lot of film. And you had to run to the lab constantly, and yeah, uh, just that—that that was how it was. When I first saw, I said to myself, "When it, when the digital cameras become under five thousand dollars, then I'll start doing it." Mm-hmm. I was not an early adopter. I did not hawk <laughs> myself to get the first digital camera. You know, I just was like, I don't want to, um, you know, get in debt just for this because. I just was slow, and I believed in film beyond. Well, you that's know. okay. There's still people shooting. I know, film, I know, so I know. That's okay. But the first <laughs> six months, so I finally bought a digital Canon. I've always been a Canon user. I bought mm-hmm. that first digital Canon. I can't remember what it was called. M something, and I shot both cameras for six months because wow. I you're was not the so only. Every professional paranoid. photographer I know, yes, um, had to compare side by side for a long time. Yeah, to and see I if it also met their standards. right, and the, and the files were so tiny back then. You know, I mean, now there's so uh, anyway, monster megapixel yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, so that's what happened. But then the funny thing was, is I, I realized that the clients always wanted it immediately. So it was like, oh, it's just easier to use the digital files and. I slowly, you know, uh, weaned myself from film. And when it was like a year or two later, when I did my taxes, I went, holy Moses, this is so much more profitable. And I don't know why. (laughs) I was charging them for the film and marking it up and all that stuff. But it just suddenly was, you know, the bottom line was better. But um, so, yeah, so the last uh, like 19, I think that was 2000 and the last 19 years, just every couple of years I buy a new one. I have the latest Canon 5D Mark IV, mm-hmm. which I love. Um, I love the autofocus things on it. It's amazing. I bet really. that saves you trouble. Yeah, I know. My eyes are not quite what they used to be, so <laughs> it's helpful. So it's kind. And my favorite lens is their 24 to 70 2.8, which is you know mm-hmm. opens up really wide right for um for on location but in the studio i use a prime 100 mm-hmm. me- millimeter lens because it's super sharp and yeah you know, and occasionally i use my telephoto because i'm trying to you know compress things and stuff like that but uh that's pretty much my equipment i have all kinds of strobe equipment that i use in the studio but i do take on location as well if i think i need to enhance the lighting i've always been about using as much ambient light as possible but if you need to fill Mm -hmm. then i will bring my strobes or a flash or something like that to just give you know a little more detail in some of the darker areas but i feel that real light is Mm -hmm. more interesting it's more believable it's more emotional it's more right sumptuous it's just reality based right? yeah yeah it's just i i like it and but it's not always doesn't always give you everything you need so i enhance it yeah well i remember a tip that you had given Mm -hmm. at um a workshop that i was at a while back um you said even you know even outside shooting outside and you need a little fill Mm -hmm. you know go find a, a white tablecloth or 
uh, a piece of white cardboard or, you know, something mm-hmm. that you can have somebody hold up right outside of, yeah. you know, the frame to reflect more sunlight onto your subject. Yeah, because back. I'm a real big believer in backlight, meaning that the light, when you have your camera, the light is in front of you and your subject is being backlit. Mm-hmm. And that gives it some more depth. Big yeah. believer in that. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. More dimension. More dimension. Now, with the advent, I want to ask you, with the advent of social media and all that, of course, everybody and his brother's been, um, and sister, I should say, we're a a women's show. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Everyone with their brothers and sisters. There you go. Um, You know, has become a a, a photographer. And of course, we all have um, Instagram. We have Instagram. We all have our smartphones, which all have cameras on them. And Um, you know a great number of people I'm sure have made their choices about which phone they want based upon how good the camera is Mm -hmm. on the phone not how good the phone portion is because that's gotten more important so do you feel in a a certain way that um, some work has gone away with this prevalence of everybody having a camera in their hands all the time probably Um, I think that's a conversation that's kind of i've heard over and over as every easier way Mm -hmm. you know when dslrs came out and everybody had them um i i really think that serious business people understand the need for professional (laughs) photography and those are my clients and the ones that and, and I, as I say, I think it's great that people do it themselves and, and have, you know, do the Instagrams mm-hmm. and all that. I think it's fantastic. You know, they're not necessarily my clients. Right. Um, and I understand, you know, I, I, I'm a do-it-yourselfer. I'm always trying to, <laughs> you know, cut out the professional if I can. But <laughs> mercifully, yeah. they still sort of need me. I think that I can bring a level of sophistication and consistency and professionalism to the photography that some, you know, someone with an iPhone can't. And the quality of the iPhone is still does not come anywhere near a still camera. So like right. my friends, when we went on this horse safari, I took a real camera and um, everybody else brought their iPhones. Right. And then we, they decided afterwards, oh, we've got to do the slideshow, which we did, which was great. <laughs> and we had it as a benefit for the African Wildlife Foundation. And we oh, neat. made money Wonderful. and it was all exciting. But I had to use my images because <laughs> theirs were just too small. Yeah. You know, they just, they don't blow up on a big screen. No. So I, you know, the iPhone is great for Instagram, but it's not something you use for POS. No. Right. And uh, even text sheets. So, yeah. you know, it's got its limitations, mm. but it's certainly freed people up and I think they should do it as much as they can. So the other thing I was going to ask you related to, you know, the thing, the, the, the other things that professional photographers can bring to the scene that those of us who are amateurs can never bring to it. Of course, is you're, you're shooting professionally all the time, which is particularly, you go out in a vineyard, you don't have to say to the vineyard, could you tilt your head a little bit to the <laughs> left and back a little and a little bit more, a little bit more of a smile. You know, the vineyard is the vineyard. But when it comes to getting people shots, oh, yeah, there is, this is where I feel like, okay, let's separate the girls from the women in a really big way <laughs> well and people don't like pictures of themselves that's the other thing they right. just don't no uh yeah i was on a shoot recently which was 
quite quite difficult <laughs> because the person who was lovely just didn't believe in herself and that's got to make your job really made my hard. life pretty hard does that but happen a lot no, or is it primarily only with women very rare uh yeah no, no i think no. some men okay. too because right. okay. just some people are just weird about having their photos taken but um yeah it, the trick is making them look real and happy and good and spontaneous while posing them because <laughs> you can't yeah. have them just talking you can't you know you have to control things and you have to get the lighting right and you have to set them right and you know it takes it you're takes, not a photojournalist doing a candid shot no, in just the moment <laughs> no no it, it requires a, a combination of kindness and a little bit bossiness and you know i mean you a little bit of psychology you just never know but um uh it's a, it can be challenging yeah it can definitely be challenging and then of course every these days everything has to be retouched somewhat and yeah. i try to do like you know a little bit not too much because i just i hate those photos where you look at them and you go that person is 80 and they look 40 <laughs> this is not right <laughs> and even you know in pictures of myself it's like like Okay, let's get some of the lines out, but let's keep a few. I mean, I've earned a few of those, you know. Yes, the badge of honor. In there that, yes, the exactly. badge of honor. Yeah. So, so I want to make sure our listeners know where they can find your information, mjwickham.com. That's W-I-C-K-H-A-M, mjwickham.com. Yeah. Um, easy enough on the email, too. MJ at mjwickham.com is easy. another way. I try to make it easy. Um, Instagram are, is mjwickham. Right. So it's easy enough to find you there. Facebook of, yes. uh, is, I believe it's MJ, MJ Wickham Photography. Right. M period, J period yeah. Wickham Photography. You'll come but, up in a search. But my personal Facebook page uh-huh. is capital M lower J. <laughs> That's right. Wickham, because they won't <laughs> allow you to do uh initials oh they won't allow you to do a periods. little mark zuckerman are you saying right. there? i know i was like so i tried umpteen finally i just and i i don't like to be referred to as mary jane which is my you know name and i was like i'm not gonna be mary jane wickham on <laughs> inside on facebook <laughs> so it took a while to figure that out oh goodness so you're avail- you're available all over wine country yeah and people mm-hmm. can reach you for yeah. that i have another one what about stock photography? This the, the oh, prevalence yeah. of well, you know uh, th- those of us who you know who work in social media and marketing are are kind of fo- forced for budgetary reasons from time oh, to time absolutely. to you know go back to the stock photography from time to time. But have you have you looked into or do you incorporate any stock? Pho- in other words, you selling to stock photography? No, for your stuff. I used so. to. Back when you got decent fees for it. And now it's miserable? And it's miserable. It's $10 an image, you know, if you're lucky. And, I mean, I don't have time to re- go in my files and look for something for $10. It's just, right. you know, no thanks. So it's not worth it to you? Not worth it. Um, it was worth it back in the old days when it was a real specialty and people would contact you and it was mostly for advertising purposes and you could get big bucks for stock photography so it was kind of a come down the first time someone 
contacted me and wanted me to, you know, get me this, that, and the other. And, and then I said, okay. And he said, and, and we'll pay $10 an image. And I was just, like, I, I think I, 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 might no. have, I might have lectured him and just said, <laughs> look, bud, that is an insult, yeah. you know. Because yeah. it was typically 300, 400 an image, you know. Yeah. So it went from there to there. Wow. Wow. That being Big said, change. I've um, I've done a lot of videos for vintage wine estates, and we had to throw in like some food shots that I wouldn't necessarily have mm -hmm. in these videos. And I've bought stock photography, and so yeah. I get okay. why people do it, and I understand it, and I think that you know if they can they need if that's what they want to use, fine. If they need assignment photography, which is what I do then I feel I can offer them a lot more individualized look, but I totally understand why people use it. Yeah. You know? I wanted to ask you, what is your, you know, do you have a favorite shoot or memory or yes, something in your career you. that happened that just stands out that was either pivotal or just really fun or, um, Ooh, wow. Was there something that was life changing, your, or what about your time lapse one that you did over? Oh, that life? was fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the the video that you've done because I know you shoot a whole yeah, lot of videos. Yeah, I've well. done. Yeah, uh, that was exciting. I opened my big mouth to Ferrari Carano, uh, the the mm -hmm. woman I work with there. That wouldn't it be cool to do a year in the vineyard? And then I had to come. Uh, then I had to figure it out. And it took a while, and luckily for me, the vineyard manager was really helpful, built me the platform, uh -huh. figured out the power to the... So this was leaving the camera there yeah, the a, whole year. Yeah, it was a GoPro camera, because uh -huh. they have that time-lapse function, mm -hmm. and I didn't know about that. He, he's the one who told me that. <laughs> I mean, that guy <laughs> saved my butt. And then we had a, a car battery that every 10 days we had to swap out for power. Wow. And my daughter at the <laughs> time... I bet it was a track to the vineyard. And yeah, and my daughter at the time was going to the JC, so I would hire her to drive up to the top of this mountain oh, and change out the cards because they had to be changed out in the battery <laughs> right, every 10 the days. the space on the card And then at the out. end of it, there were, you know, 365, well, 365 times 24 times 60 images because it was taking one every single minute of the day and night. Wow. So the hardest part was editing it all down. Oh my lord. But in the end it were it turned out great. It was I had a vision, it came through the way I wanted it. They were happy and I was just so There like, you go, clients wow. happy. But hours and hours and hours and hours of editing. But um no, let me think. Can uh, that be viewed like online, like on YouTube? Yeah, or anything? I think it's on That'd Ferrari. Really cool. I'm sure it's on Ferrari Carano's. I think it's called YouTube channel. Or my own yeah. too. I have a YouTube yeah. channel. MJ I guess MJ Wickham. I'm not sure what it is, but it's on there. It's been a while since you've uploaded to it. Yeah. I didn't know I you used did to video. love That's cool. photographing Robert Mondavi. He was just such a cool dude. The scariest thing was one time Buena Vista hired me and they didn't, they told me someone important was coming, but they didn't tell me who. And I was the only photographer and the bus came up and out jumps Helmut Kohl, the president of Germany. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, ah. I mean, literally my knees were shaking because I realized, oh my God, I'm the only photographer. If I mess this up, I'm dead meat. But 
So I was really nervous for maybe 10, 15 minutes. And then, then I you speak work. German. Oh, and by the end, nice. I was like chatting with them. And, you know, I was like really proud of myself for <laughs> overcoming this incredible, like, Fun. oh, no. <laughs> the oh, like third most powerful exciting. man in the world or something like that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty happy behind the camera no matter what. I love the rapport with my clients. I love, I have you know, a number that I work with regularly and get to know them and I love spending time with them and just finding out, you know, about them and, and, and tell, helping them tell their story in a beautiful way, but giving them their voice and mm -hmm. not, not just mine, you know, being a, a yeah. melding of our two voices yeah. visually. And so pretty much most of the time I'm pretty happy once I'm by the behind the camera. So, but pretty cool. Yeah. Well, listeners, if you want to see, finally, after listening, um, all of uh, MJ's beautiful images, just go to her website, mjwickham.com, which has got a lot of really cool stuff. I want to thank you well, for thank being you here for today. for having me. It's really been fun. It has been <laughs> my fun. my first podcast ever. Well, there you go. There's a first time, there's first yeah, time for everything. everything. Thanks exactly. for being here, MJ. Right. It's really nice. And Lisa, thank you, Lisa Adams-Walter with Adams-Walter communications communications doing um publicity as well as a lot of um fine arts uh, all fine arts um uh, communications not just limited to wineries and and food stuff but um also the arts, the and, arts. and dance and theater and um arts and music and yeah. all that kind of stuff which is very Definitely. cool and uh a co-founder and uh editor of uh, Canvas the magazine. magazine. Actually, you know, we're, we're, it's evolved. It's now Canvassing Wine Country is the name of the uh -huh. magazine. Okay. And it's Canvassing Wine Country, the Canvas Experience Magazine. Because when it just said Canvas, no one knew what it was. It was right. like, what's Canvas? Well, it's a very you know? long acronym. Right. And, and it is. And it is. But Canvassing Wine Country seems to seems to stick. So when you, I'll, I'll bring the new issue in and we very can take good. a peek at it. Very cool. Very cool. Um, well, obviously, listeners, you can find Lisa at adamswalter.com um, mm -hmm. is where you can learn more about her. Uh, find me at winewomen.net um, and also the schedule, like I mentioned, next week after the fires, Beyond Lessons Learn um, will be at Buena Vista Winery on the 17th, the evening on the 17th. You can get wine and appetizers and enjoy the panel discussion, including experts from Cal Fire and local fire departments and winery owners and winemakers and insurance people, all the melting pot um, related to that. Um, and also there's uh, August 13th, Wine Women is hosting Wine Faults, or is that wine corked? Uh, another event <laughs> that will be at Deloach Vineyards, um, and they're also a major sponsor of the event. And that will be an opportunity um, for the attendees, limited to 20, um, to taste bad wine. This is actually, it's, it's nobody's, nobody's particular wine. It's actually chemically made to teach everybody who's there and train them how to pick out corked wine or oxidized wine. Um, so all the various faults that you might run into, including perhaps also smoke taint um, and how to pick up the aromas of all these different things. So listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. I uh, want to appreciate your listening in. Be sure to subscribe to our channel and uh, leave us a comment um, on the page. It would be great to hear from you and your feedback on the show. 
because of course that helps our uh, search engine optimization and all that there ratings to have comments out there so thank you for tuning in we will be back next week with another episode of the wine women radio hour thanks lisa thank you bye-bye we'll be back